Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Smells Like Business, where you can learn more about the current and future state of cannabis, CBD and hemp in Europe. We talk to different cannabis experts and entrepreneurs making it easier for you to enter and better understand the cannabis industry. I'm your host Tom and today we have Umberto Naguera on the show. Umberto is originally from Angola, but was brought up in Portugal, where he now currently lives and works. He is a part of several hemp associations, Hemp Today being one of them. He has been working with hemp and medical cannabis since 2014, and understands very well what's going on with these two industries in Europe, and particularly in Portugal. Umberto explains what the current political situation looks like in Portugal in regards to hemp and medical cannabis how the Portuguese government plans to move forward with new legislation, and what it takes to grow hemp in this country. These are just a few of the topics we dive into. Now, before we do dive in, I have to apologize a little bit for the sound quality. As Umberto works with different hemp and medical cannabis producers in different and often remote parts of Portugal, internet and phone connections can be a little weak. He did warn me of this, but what may be lacking in quality of sound is made up for in quality of content. So I do hope you enjoy. Hi, Umberto. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, Tom. All good in here. Great. So perhaps let's start maybe from the beginning and and you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up working with hemp in Portugal. Tom, thank you so much for uh, your invitation. My name is Umberto Nogueira. Born in Angola, raised in Portugal. Since 2010, I developed this curiosity about cannabis. This first trip to Amsterdam got me really enthusiastic. And since then, I I couldn't stop reading. And eventually, by 2014, I decided to work full-time dedicated to the cannabis industries. By industries, I mean uh, medical cannabis and hemp, which is my main focus in Portugal. So started in Angola 2014. Things didn't went well due to the oil price crisis. And I moved back again to Portugal. 2017, did my first crops of industrial hemp. Since 2017, I've been growing industrial hemp, also consulting for industrial hemp projects and also medical cannabis projects. I've been helping the Portuguese Association of Industrial Hemp, Canna Casa, to bring more information and help Portuguese farmers and companies to start to enter this magnificent industry. Also, more recently, I became the vice president of ASIP, which is the Portuguese Association for Industrial Hemp Retailers. Was that retailers, you said? Yes. So quite a busy man and a lot going on since 2014. So is it difficult in Portugal to get a license to grow hemp? When I started in Portugal 2017, we didn't need any license, which actually is an authorization to grow industrial hemp. We basically had to buy certified seeds from the EU catalog and then communicate to the authorities and to the specific uh, government department, which is uh, a department responsible for uh, food and veterinary. It's a bit weird since it's an agricultural crop. It should be the Ministry of Agriculture at least. But yes, it's this food and veterinary agency, which until last year, until August, 2020. Basically, their responsibility in the process to grow hemp was to confirm that the seed we buy was really certified. After 2018, when uh, the Portuguese parliament legalized medical cannabis, 
the big, big mess started. All of a sudden, the same agency, the GAF, responsible for hemp, started to decline any quest for certification of the seed, saying that now everything related to cannabis is medical now, and uh, everything is with Infarmed, which is our FDA equivalent, which actually is the Portuguese government entity responsible for the license process for medical cannabis. So with Canacasa, with stakeholders in Portugal and hemp farmers in Portugal, until August 2020, we, we sweat a lot <laughs> for a, a proper regulatory process. So what eventually happened in August last year was the GAF was now responsible for the authorization to grow hemp, which is also very strange since we are probably the only EU state member asking for an actual authorization of an agricultural crop. So it doesn't make sense at all. But to make it worse, Tom, just to make it worse, what the legislator did was like, let's copy paste the very specific checklist to grow medical cannabis to industrial hemp. We even had to demand some correction in this new law because there were some mistakes when they were typing. And all of a sudden, we were asked to have the same technical director as they demand for medical cannabis. So it's like a ping pong game. And when the ping pong game ends, the legislation doesn't fit the needs. We are struggling to work as Europeans. So we can work like any other EU state member. So eventually our Portuguese government will have to update themselves and also talk with the stakeholders in Portugal. That's what we've been demanding in order for the legislations to be made for the farmers, for the country. It's a very, very complex situation in Portugal. Oh, it sounds quite complicated. And uh, yeah, it's a shame that the, the government didn't have a bit more dialogue with you guys, the people who are actually producing the hemp, and they just sort of copy-pasted legislation from the medical cannabis. I mean, they're two completely different industries. Yes, it derives from the same plant, but I mean, you have to tackle them very, very differently. It feels like as medical cannabis legislation is moving forward, it's almost at the detriment of the hemp industry in Portugal. Yes. You know, the thing is, from the very beginning, since they legalized medical cannabis, one of the things we try to discuss, not only with the state, but directly with medical cannabis companies, was how do we find a common ground? Because at some point, my industrial hemp crops will release pollen in the air. And the cross-pollination is quite a big issue, as you know, Tom, from the California example. It's a big issue for medical cannabis operations. Those uh, medical cannabis flowers uh, worth millions as long as they stay virgin. If industrial hemp male plants pollinize those plants, this is an issue. So there's no plan for it in the country. At the same time, we have a CBD. And most people still don't know that more than 90-something percent of the CBD that is being commercialized in the planet right now, or at least in Europe, is hemp-derived CBD. It's not medical cannabis CBD or, or any other source. But in Portugal, unfortunately, since uh, the legalization of medical cannabis, the message in the media, from the regulators, even from the Medical Cannabis Association, the message was, oh, this is the medical potential of CBD. This is CBD as medicine. Never presented as food or food supplement. This generated um, a lot, a lot, a lot of issues, a lot of struggles. 
unfortunately, there's also on the, the mainstream media a lot of practice of misinformation. Yeah, that's quite worrying to hear if there's misinformation coming from the media. It is. So yeah, I was actually wondering, in light of all this, how has it been for you? Actually, do you grow your own hemp on your own land, or do you actually work and collaborate with farmers to produce hemp? Well, I never did hemp in my own land. Each season, I do partnerships with farmers, and it's a win-win situation. Last year, I did a very, very fruitful crop, Saga, which is North Portugal. It was an amazing flower production. This year, we are struggling to produce the flower properly because the GAF is responsible for the authorization and trying to deny us the right to grow for flowers. Although they do not present any legal uh, document to support that it's forbidden to grow for flower. So eventually, we had to apply for fiber and seeds, or fiber or seeds, and uh, farmers had to adapt. How did they adapt? Well, from the projects that I'm working with, basically, we had to declare for seeds, and eventually we are going to do some early harvest before pollination. At the same time, Tom, we have a lot of hemp shops popping all over Portugal. And since they started to sell the flour, all stores, all retailers that didn't buy flour from Portugal, but imported from Italy, for example, they had a lot of troubles. They were prosecuted. They were confused as smugglers because in Italy, the limit nationally is 0.6. But in Portugal, it's still 0.2. If for some reason you have 0.3 or 0.6 in your crop, that doesn't make your crop a narcotic production. Although it's very, very easy for the authorities to try to treat that as a narcotic. But anyway, those retailers deal a lot with investigations. Eventually, all those processes will be closed without proof of narcotic because in the end, the lab analysis will confirm this is not drug type, this is industrial type. Yeah, it's a good example of, of how difficult it is with these different CBD laws in different uh, EU countries. So, I mean, there isn't an EU standard, but I would say the majority of EU countries seem to be around the 0.2 mark. Yes, the 0.2. And eventually, every EU state member has the liberty to adapt nationally to a different limit. I give you the Italian example. It's 0.6 inside Italy, 0.5, if I'm not wrong, in Czech Republic and in Austria. Switzerland, for example, although it's not an EU state member, but it's 1%. That 1% was the trigger for the, the explosion of the market in the Central Europe. Italy provides a lot, a lot of flour to Switzerland. Why? Because it's cheaper and also because Switzerland has lacks on the arable land. But also the EU already approved, although it's not enforced yet, but it's already approved the change of the limits to 0.3%, which put us in the, the same level of North America and also Australia. Still, you definitely need to know the rules and regulations in different countries, especially if you're importing and exporting. You have to get in touch with those legislations, of course. But in the end, as long as the product is below 0.2% THC at the EU level, that product is suitable to be transacted and commercialized inside the EU state member. If you're uh, within that 0.2, you're safe for now. 
Great. So obviously we know hemp is a very durable plant and it can also grow in most climates and in most types of soil. But different cultivars do grow better in different climates. So are there any cultivars that work really well for the southern or Portuguese climate? Well, so far we didn't get much data on which cultivars is best for fiber or for seeds or eventually for flower slash CBD biomass. But one of the main things about cannabis, it is very adaptable. For example, we buy seeds from France. Well, France is geographically at different latitudes compared to Portugal. And with this, I come again to the 0.2 issue. Well, 0.2% THC is something that usually occurs normally at northern latitudes, where the summer isn't so hot. So what that means is that southern EU countries need to develop their own industrial hemp cultivars in order to get more resistance to UV light. We can't afford to grow French or northern EU country seeds having a very different climate at our latitudes. We are unfavored at that point because having more than 0.2 currently means that the state can come and say, you can eat your crop, you can burn it, you can do whatever, you just cannot sell this crop. And so three to four months of work through the drain, right? Out the window, yeah, that'd be terrible. So for the climate, maybe it's not ideal, ideal for the cultivars you have. But for medical cannabis, I can imagine Portugal is quite a good climate. Well, it is. Although that also needs a lot of study. I know that few companies, medical cannabis companies, from their beginning, they had a lot of loss because they, I presume, they didn't have a proper study on fungus, for example, on the fauna that exists in Portugal and how that can affect their medical cannabis crops. What we know, for example, is from the top north to the, the tip south of Portugal, we can have almost four hours difference of sunlight. That's quite a lot. Yes. Knowing that, it means that the south of Portugal is much more suitable for medical cannabis. And I mean all year. But also, being more south also means much hotter climate. At the beginning, it's a blast because it makes the plants, the flowers to grow better. But Eventually, for greenhouse operation and indoor operation, that represents a lot of energy cost. As you know, it's easier to eat a whole room compared to cool a whole room, right? Yeah. It's their benefit, the sunlight hours, but the heat of the sun is also a struggle when it comes to energy consumption. All right. So pros and cons. Great. So what is it like to be a Portuguese hemp producer? Let's maybe start from the beginning with the seed. So what does the process look like? First of all, we have to prepare the lens, decide depending on the purpose, if it's fiber or seeds or flour or biomass, prepare the soil, and eventually also take care of security issues. It doesn't matter if it's fiber or seed or flour or biomass. When people are ignorant, when they see the leaf, they automatically associate with narcotic ITHC varieties of cannabis. So you don't want to get your crop too known. You don't want, for example, one of the issues we had last year, um, we discovered, I mean, the authorities informed us that our flower was being sold in uh, Braga. CBD flower was being sold as THC flower at eight euros a gram. Oh, you wow. see the risk? Yeah. <laughs> CBD flower is becoming very, very, very similar 
THC flower in all points. Even the smell, the terpenes, the terpene profile is becoming closer to what we usually associate to THC flower. So the there's a high risk for this product to be deviated to non-formal <laughs> markets. And that's another thing to prepare before the sowing of your crop. It's uh, properly developed your security measures to be protected for the whole cycle. Okay, so security, quite important there. Okay, then what else? What else? Okay, you acquire the proper seed that fills the need. Then it's more about the bureaucracy process. You apply for the authorization, and once the authorization comes, if the authorization comes in the 10 days of work, you can then start the sowing for the planting, depending on the purpose. If it's seed or fiber, in terms of maintenance, it isn't so demanding. If it's flour, it's on a daily basis. Of course, the most critical part then is the harvest, the processing, and the storaging of your crop. So when do you harvest? I guess it depends, like you said, a bit on the purpose of your crop. Yes. Well, if it's for fiber or seeds, usually you sow the seed from mid-April till the end of May. For flour, usually we can plant it in the soil until late June. And of course, depending on the, the cultivar chosen, and assuming you are not working with clones, depending on the cultivar, it can take three to four months to be ready for harvest, yes. But in the case a farmer is growing the only automatic or photo-independent cultivar that is available in the EU catalog, cultivar name is Finola, it's registered in the Scandinavia, it's the only automatic, which means uh, compared to the other uh, varieties, it doesn't age depending on the sunlight period. After the solstice, the summer solstice, the days start to get shorter again. And within a month, plants start to flowering. But if the cultivar or variety is photo-independent, it ages not depending on the sunlight hours, but on its own age. So you could get, in theory, more than one crop in a season, right? Yes, a photo-dependent and a, an automatic, for example, yes. And have you worked with Finola? Yes, actually, that was my first love, <laughs> let's call it. It's not so productive at the industrial level. Those varieties doesn't produce much compared to the regular photo-dependent. But the variety of colors, of flowers, of uh, even the aromas, you see the terpene profile, was amazing. Great. So what do you do with your crop once you've harvested it? I can imagine it depends what you're using it for. Yes, it's always dependent on which method you use it to grow. When it comes to fiber, for example, usually you let the stalk in bales after harvest, and then you just put it on the processing line to separate the sheave from the other fiber. The storage will depend on, for example, the fiber and if it's for woven and non-woven. For seeds, it's a very, very specific and complex process. The seed must be cleaned, then there's these three machines, different processes, in order to properly dehull the seeds. When it comes to flour, usually we cut the whole plant, it must be dried in the stable. Once the flour reaches between 11 to 15% moisture content, it is ready to be properly packed and ready to be shipped to the buyers. Being in Southern Europe, 
usually we get much more crops, we have much more sunlight hours. What happens to the northern EU countries? They don't have our summer, so usually by December, January, they already sold everything they have. So they start to look in southern EU countries. So the flour we could sold by November or December at 600 euros per kilogram. We sell by January, February, or March, usually then worth a bit more, 900 euros usually. So if you're smart with your crops and your stock, you can actually get a little bit more for your money. And that's interesting that Northern Europe tends to run low around that time. They look around to do a bit of shopping. <laughs> exactly. Okay, interesting, interesting. So let's say you know, you're a hemp producer and you've dabbled on a quite a small scale. Have you experienced any unexpected problems involved in scaling up? Basically, we never scaled before because mm-hmm. since 2018 and all the regulatory problems that the state generated, it basically scared the, the investors. You said you, were, you guys were sweating between the, the period of 2018 and 20, so I can imagine scaling up was the last thing on your mind at the time. Exactly, because investors didn't see that the status to grow hemp in Portugal was secure enough. Although, as I mentioned before, there was nothing in the law that forbid us to grow. But for an investor, the scenario didn't seem confident enough. Now, with the regulatory process since August last year, we finally get again the attention of the investors. Great. Well, that sounds like all good news there. And what advice would you give to a young entrepreneur who is interested in becoming a hemp producer in Portugal? Well, everyone that starts now most probably won't have to deal with things I, I had in 2012, for example. But the main thing is resilience. There's going to be your family, your friends that are going to say, oh, you are crazy. This is cannabis or this is not for you. Just don't give up. Don't give up. Use your resilience in your favor. Don't give up. Just keep going. And it's definitely going in the right direction. And it, it seems to be a little bit easier now than it was even just a couple of years ago. At least I think we finally reached the point. There's no return. No one now have arguments to say, let's forbid everything related to cannabis. No, there's no turning point and the future is greener. All right. The future looks bright and greener. Right. Well, I only have one last question for you, which is a question I ask all my guests. And that is, if you could go back in time, is there anything you would do differently? You mean any time in any point in history? So you, you're allowed to interpret that question however you like. Okay, I would interpret it in a global level. I would travel to 1937 and promote the very first industrial decorticator in the whole world for all countries to understand the benefits of industrial hemp. If we could present the benefits before the arguments of the prohibition, we probably would live in a much different world. That's really funny because I think you're the second person to answer that question with literally that answer. On episode 23, I spoke to Marin Krings, who is a photographer, and she photographs and documents different hemp producers and hemp projects from around the world. And when I asked her that question, she also said a specific year, and I'm pretty sure she said 1937, and she said about the decorticator. So that is actually really funny that you answered it the same way. Obviously, there is something to it. Yes, exactly. So where can our guests find out more about you, what you do, and uh, with what's going on with hemp in Portugal? Uh, LinkedIn, Humberto Nogueira, and with Canacasa Association, and with ASIP, 
Portuguese Association of Industrial Hemp Retailers, we will also share and put people in touch with the plant, with the crop, and with the industry. Great, Umberto. Well, thank you for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. I thoroughly enjoyed it. My pleasure, Tom. Thank you so much for this opportunity, for sharing. And I uh, hope to see you in Portugal sometime. Yes, that would be lovely. I would love to come to Portugal and vice versa. If you're ever uh, in my neck of the woods, please say hello. Great. So that was Umberto Noguera, who I just want to thank again for coming on the show. If you want to find out more about what he's doing or even get in touch, you can find him on LinkedIn. Just search for Umberto J. Noguera. So that's Umberto, H-U-M-B-E-R-T-O, J, and then Noguera is N-O-G-U-E-I-R-A. Also, if you live in Portugal and want to find out more about what's going on with industrial hemp, you can visit canacasa.pt. That's C-A-N-N-A-C-A-S-A, canacasa.pt. Also, please do remember to subscribe to this podcast and check out our website at www.smellslikebusiness.com. I've been your host, Tom. Have a green day, everybody. Business. Smells like business.